we are in the second Sunday of Advent. Last week we spoke on uh, the Advent of hope, and this week we speak on the Advent of the love of Christ. Um, as the series title says, this, this uh, hope, love, joy, and peace uh, is not just for us in this room. It's for all of us, and we titled the series, Unto All of Us, for a Reason. Uh, this morning we're going to focus on Jesus and love, but before we go there, I would ask you to go to the Lord in prayer with me. God, thanks again for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to come and to worship, to be blessed and to receive. Thank you for the people on stage who you've given talents to lead us in worship with instruments and with their voices. God, more importantly, we thank you for the truth of the messages that we sing. And God, I pray this morning that you would find us coming to fully adore and worship you for who you are. And with that being our posture and our heart and our mind, we pray, too, that you would speak to us this morning, your truth by your spirit. That you would help us not just hear it for information, but that by your spirit you would lead us into transformation into the likeness of Jesus. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you, beside you, that they would hear from the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I am assuming that many of you are like me, which could be a really scary thought. But like me in the sense that whenever I leave the house, whenever I hang up the phone, whenever I am putting the boys to bed, not that they get put to bed anymore, but whenever they uh, go to bed, whenever I end a phone conversation or a conversation with Penny, whenever I uh, close out some text messages, or whenever I close out an email, uh, I will end with three words, I love you. And most of us would say those three words uh, often in our lives. But I want to ask this morning, what does it really mean to say, I love you? And what does it really look like when we receive it or respond to it? And how, genuine, how is genuine love genuinely expressed? Is the phrase, I love you, just a familiar phrase that sort of rolls off our tongue? Or does it still have value and meaning? I will say in the years of ministry and speaking on the topic of love, uh, it is one of the easiest messages to do. And it is one of the most difficult messages to do. It can be the easiest because we have a, a myriad of verses that God has given us in His Word. But it's also the most difficult topic because our understanding of love has either been perverted or watered down to a point that its power and its depth has been lost. And so to get us in this thinking of love and to move us into this direction of God's love, I want to ask you to think about something for me. Just for a second, I want you to think about, when I say the word love, I want you to think about the first song that comes to mind. 
And if it's appropriate, I want you to tell the person beside you what's the first song you came, came to your mind. Ready? Love. Don't, you don't have to start singing it. Just say it. Love. I bet in the fifth, five to ten seconds that we just did that, that there were over 50 songs that were said about love. Thousands of songs have been written about love. Thousands of books about love. And yet, in spite of this wealth of information, these, this wealth of ideas and suggestions, all the lyrics about what love is and how love was lost and how it can be given back, in the midst of all that, we realize that we still sometimes don't quite get it on how it's received, how it's expressed. And therefore, it's no wonder that many of our understandings and misinterpretations of God's love is present today as well. Many times we, and for sure the world, take our self-ascribed descriptions and definitions of love and we place them on God's love and assume that those descriptions fit and match how love is to operate. But we know the world does not give love like God gives love. If you remember, Jesus said in John chapter 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. He could have easily said, My love I leave with you, not as the world loves you, because my love is altogether different. It's so much other. So this morning, I want us to, to take some time and be reflective as we can. And think and pray about, the God, about God's love for you and for me. Think about it through this lens, that God sacrificially loves and God graciously saves. The first thing I want to look at is I want to ask you a trivia question. What are the first four words of the Old Testament in Genesis? In the beginning. That's our first point this morning. In the beginning, love. And the reason I title it The Beginning Love is because what does the Bible tell us about God? 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. So in the beginning, in the very beginning... Love. Love is the source. Love is at the beginning. The word love is mentioned 529 times in 446 verses. In fact, many people have referenced the Bible as God's love letter to us. In the very beginning, love. God is fundamentally and essentially love, not merely a loving God. It is who He is, who He's always been, and who He always will be. And because that is who he is, he cannot stop expressing himself in love. Because love is who God is. Many scriptures begin to describe the love of God, and here's just a few. His love is pure and undefiled, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Micah 7, 18 says, The Lord delights in unchanging love. 
His love is not earned or deserved, Romans 5, 8, and Isaiah 64, 6. Philip Yancey, an author, said this about God's love. There is nothing you can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love us less. It's an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, meaning God cannot stop loving you. Romans 8.37-38, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Many times my thoughts and expressions about love do not match up with what the scriptures talk about love. It becomes more of a a thing that rolls off my tongue. And I think this morning, the time for us here is to reflect on what love really looks like and what it really means. Because with God, there is no shallowness or emptiness when it comes to His expressing love. He cannot be another way other than loving. It's not a choice for Him. It's who He is. Complete and perfect love is the motive of all his thoughts and all his actions because that is who he is. Whenever I talk about, whenever I think about for my own life, about becoming more like Jesus, love has to be the first thing in the picture. To love as he loved. That all my motives and all my thoughts and all my actions would be rooted in love. And love would be my constant expression. If you have your Bibles, you can look at John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. A very familiar passage that says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. There is no doubt, whatever translation you read from these verses, the message is clear that God loves and God gives. And He gives out of His love. Think with me just for a second. I want to ask you to go back and ask yourself and answer this question. Is When is the first time the definition of love was set for you? When someone said to you, I love you, and you knew what they meant, that you received it, that you went, this must be what love is. This is it. What they said, what they did, that that there was an understanding of love. I grew up in a home where my parents said, I love you often. And they backed up the words, I love you. For some people, the words, I love you, were spoken, but the actions were not backed up. And for some of us here, some of the words never came, but you knew for certain you were loved. So I want to ask an even deeper question is, when was the first time you knew for sure that you were loved by God? Not the first time you sinned and and you were disappointing God or that you felt guilty before God, but when was the first time you knew that you were loved by God. And sometimes it may have happened in that moment when you realized, man, I really messed up, and then you experienced the love of God. But when was it? 
Maybe, maybe for some it'll be this morning. John, the writer of the famous verses that we just read, is described as the apostle of love. In the majority of his writings, we find his overall theme, love. And in this passage of John 3.16, he boldly declares that God loves. And so our only hope in understanding love is to seek to understand God. Because he is love and he first loved us. Now there's an assumption that whenever somebody starts speaking about God's love, that there is also this thing that wells up and they wrestle. We wrestle with the, the unworthiness we have of God's love. We consider our lives and our rebellion, our poor choices, our inconsistencies, our denial to obey, and conclude that God rightly so and justly should withhold love from me. But this is impossible with God. He cannot stop loving us. And I know I sound like a broken record, but we forget. Love is the very essence of who He is, so He cannot stop loving us. We live in a culture where there is conditions that are surrounded and attached to love. A love that says, I will love you as long as you add value to my life. And when you stop adding value, I will stop loving. We won't say that out loud to somebody. But that's how our culture and society works. God's love is so much other than that. Because here's the truth. If you hear nothing else, God cannot stop loving you. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. So what's profoundly wonderful and freeing about this is that God's love is not about me. God's love is about Him. God's love for us is more of an expression of His character and nature than it is about my worthiness to receive it or experience it. And so how does that play out in our lives? Because even when God allows hard times or difficult people or unwanted circumstance in our lives, we can begin to doubt that God cares or God loves. That His love has changed. And we begin to think that if God really loved me, He would change my circumstance. That He would change the people around me or that He would even change me. But God's love is not conditional on me. Someone has said that sin is first conceived when we fail to believe or remember that God loves us. I can't answer why things happen in our lives, but I do know with confidence this. That whatever happens in our lives and whatever circumstances we face, they are never inconsistent with the love of God. And God gives us His unconditional love, and we see this unconditional expression of love in His greatest gift to us 
God's perfect and gracious gift of Jesus. Look at verse 16. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. Only begotten Son. When I was a kid growing up, I didn't know what begotten meant. Quoted this verse all the time, had no idea what begotten meant. This word begotten, this, it means one of a kind. It means unique. God demonstrates his love for the world by sending us his son to earth as a baby. It reminds me of this cartoon the other day about what Christmas was. Anybody like peanuts? Tell me, what is love, Chuck? A man called Jesus? Love is Jesus. Jesus is Christmas. Think about it. Out of God's love, he gave his one and only son. Unique, special, one of a kind. God always gives his best because he doesn't have the capacity to do less. God gave us Jesus, his best, the perfect one, to us. And so when you think about John 3.16, you have to answer two questions. What or who did God give and who did he give him to? We know the first answer. He gave his son Jesus. And he gave him to us. One author described it this way, that Jesus has come to earth. The Almighty has entered our world. The infinite has become finite. And the eternal has evaded time. And the Bible calls him Emmanuel. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 4, that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth a son born of a woman. At just the right time, at just the right time, God sent forth his one and only perfect best son. Why? Because he loved us. As followers of Christ, we believe and hold to this truth that God became man. It's the central truth of our faith, and it is the point that sets our faith, Christianity, apart from all other religions. To Christians, it's impossible to speak about God without speaking about Jesus, because they are the same. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus. Scripture says in Colossians 1.15 that we have seen the invisible God by the visible Jesus. That Jesus is the exact image of his Father. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And the whole truth is contained in the words, and the Word became flesh. It's hard to get our minds around this. And the early church, there are many debates about this. Some people said Jesus was, wasn't really man, he just looked like a man. Uh, some people would say, well, he's just half God, half man. And unbelievers said it was all nonsense from the very beginning. Remember in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, when the angel comes to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And there's no doubt that there is mystery in all that, that we don't quite fully understand all that, but the mystery does not deny its truth. God was always a God of love, and when Christ came to earth, love was wrapped in flesh. And what was God thinking? What was on his mind? Jesus came to communicate God's love. I've told this illustration a number of times, but it is just so fitting, I'm going to tell it again. Several years ago, there was a bird that kept banging its beak and its head into my window behind my desk in my office. And I would sit in my office and I would watch this bird just bang its beak and head into that window. And I thought, it must see the light, it must think it's warm, or maybe it just wants to hang out with me. I don't know. (laughs) But it would bang its head, it would bang its beak, it would flutter its wings, it would beat its head against the window some more. And of course, like many things, I went out and I told Kelsey and Mary Jane about it. And Kelsey, of course, just fell in love with the bird. Goes out there and tries to save the bird. Hoping to tell it to stop being so dumb and bringing its head against the window. Now let's just say, theoretically, theoretically, that I love the bird too. And let's just say, for illustration's sake, that I love the bird more than Kelsey. And again, for illustration's sake, let's just say that I love the bird more than anything in the world. How in the world could I communicate to this bird that I love it? I could shout out, hey, you dumb bird, I love you. But because I speak English, and they speak bird the bird wouldn't understand me plus if you notice birds don't stay still very long birds hop around they're moving around they're always looking so busy slamming their head into windows I just don't think they would take much time to listen and I think the more I wave my arms and scream hey I love you bird stop banging your head on my window the bird would probably look at me and think I was more dangerous than I was helpful. I could write the bird a letter. But again, I write English. They read bird. So that wouldn't work. But if I had supernatural powers, there is one thing I could do. I could take on the form of a bird. I could be born as a bird. I could live as a bird. I can communicate and speak bird as they do. Then I would have an effective way to say to the bird, I love you. There is a better way to live than beating your beak against that window. Let me show you the way. 
Now, I know that story seems silly. But essentially, that is exactly what God did. He did the one thing we could understand. He himself, God himself, came down and entered the human race. Why? He became like us so he could, we could hear him and understand him say, I love you. I have a better way. In fact, I am that way. I love you too much to see you continue to bang your head against the window, hoping for something that you will never find and that will never satisfy you. Because of God's love, he gave us Jesus. Christmas comes down to God's love because Christmas is love. The final point this morning is really from verses 16 and 17 of John, probably more in 17, God's love and way of salvation. I wanted to look at it through three different translations. That the world might be saved through him. John three sixteen and 17 from the voice. He is here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. The New Living Translation says to save the world through him. One author said this, Paul Tripp, in his Advent devotional, the incarnation tells you who God is, perfectly holy, bountifully loving, and who you are, sinful, unable to escape. And by believing both, we have hope. There is a sacrificial purpose in the coming of Jesus. Think about it. If we were perfect... Jesus would not have had to come. Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us into our own way. And because we have done that, Jesus came. If we were perfect, Jesus would not have had to come. But because we are not perfect, because we are sinful, because we were and are more concerned about ourselves and building our kingdom rather than the kingdom of God, Jesus came. As we read this verse, it doesn't take much that Jesus came to destroy our own kingdom of ourselves. To have his kingdom set in our hearts and minds. The kingdom of self shapes what we think, what we desire, what we say and do. This kingdom of self not only shapes my desires of what I want to do, but it shapes my desires of what I want you to do in reference to me. How I want you to respond to my kingdom. The kingdom of self explains why we are so often irritated and impatient with people, quick to anger and frustration. The kingdom of self causes us to want what we will never have, always pursuing but never obtaining. This kingdom of self demands what we don't deserve. And the kingdom of self always puts us at odds with one another and at odds with God. And this kingdom of self is one of the deep diseases of why Jesus had to come. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. 
It's not about living for ourselves. Jesus says we live for him. That's why he came. Sin causes people to live for themselves. Now, I understand that when we talk about the Christmas story, we don't gather around and get our eggnog, tell the Christmas story, and tell the Joseph and Mary story, and the wise men, the shepherds, and then we say, oh, also, don't forget about the sin and selfishness of the Christmas story. But what we're talking about in the the sin of the Christmas story is the essential part of God's grace and love of the Christmas story. Jesus came to annihilate and slaughter and destroy our self-oriented kingdoms of one so that he could point and lead us to the kingdom of wisdom and grace and love. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. We also need to understand and relate to the intensity of the power and grace in Jesus at Christmas. A lot of times we deceive ourselves and believing that we don't need this rescue plan. And if we don't need this rescue plan, then what are we celebrating at Christmas anyway? We celebrate Jesus as the rescue plan. But we have ways that we tend to deceive ourselves into believing that we don't need this rescue plan that Jesus was born to provide. How do we do that? Well, we tend to minimize our sin. We all have ways of naming our sin as something less than sin. We have this kind of creative skill, this, this fictitious expertise, that we become negotiators of sin. And we deceive ourselves that we don't need the rescue plan. We tend to doubt the wisdom of God's word. The more we become comfortable with questioning the wisdom of God's word, the more likely it will be that we will feel okay about breaking his commands. When we question the authority and wisdom of God's word, we're heading down a path towards sin and we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves when we tend to be more concerned about the wrongs of others than our own sins. I know, I'll confess this, maybe you can relate, that on any given day, I can be more engaged in, concerned with, and focused on the wrongs of other people I live and work with than I am about my own sin. Can anybody else relate to that? Yeah. First service didn't respond back to that. I was a little nervous. <laughs> The reality is this, is that we will always deny our need for God's grace when we are more irritated at others than we are convicted of ourselves. We tend to deny what's in our hearts. Sin is not just a matter of an occasional wrongdoing. It is a condition of our heart that we need rescuing from. I love this quote that I read this week. It says this, only when sin breaks our hearts will the coming of the Messiah excite our hearts. If we are not celebrating the rescue of Jesus at Christmas, then what are we celebrating? 
Jesus came to provide a rescue from sin and from ourselves. But this rescue was costly. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him. And by the scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on Him. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. The focus and motive of God's love is a redemption and restoration rescue plan. We sing carols about Jesus' coming at Christmas because he came to save us. We can't forget that. And the Bible gives us hope in God's redeeming life so we can live out and experience what he said in John 10.10, 10, that I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm so thankful that the salvation of God is not dependent on me. Titus 3, 4 through 6 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, Christmas, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. We find in Jesus that God's love and forgiveness isn't giving away sparingly, but recklessly and indiscriminately. That God's love is completely and thoroughly inclusive unto all of us. Whoever believes. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how badly you've sinned against God or other people. It doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter how young you are. God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Because none of us are ever going to be as we should be. I saw a bumper sticker on a friend's car yesterday that sums up this thought. Trust God, dot, 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 period. Believe. Whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life you're here this morning and you've never experienced the love of God in Jesus and said yes to this gift at Christmas yes to this rescue plan you need to trust Jesus period there's no better conversation around the Christmas story than embracing the rescue plan of Jesus so seek me afterwards Talk to Steve, Seth, one of us afterwards. Maybe today is the day that you understand that God loves you. For the rest of us as believers this morning, I want to encourage you with three things. And the first one is this, is to rehearse the story of Jesus. In the midst of a very fast-paced season, I want to encourage you to slow down and take time to hear God say, You are my beloved. 
but also I want you to take time and pay attention to share the Jesus story. The reality is, is that there are more people out there that don't understand God's love than that are in here. And we have a story to tell them, a love to talk about. Jesus, when he's with his followers and his disciples, he says, as the Father has sent me, I now send you. Share the story. And lastly, live the story of Jesus. Every chance we get in every situation to love and live Jesus. I'd like for you to repeat this for me, all of us together, to say John 3.16. 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him.